So if you see Kate in the bulletin, you go, who in the world is Kate Silver? The pastor get remarried or what's going on here? Uh, that's, that's her in the back, the person you all know and love. But anyway, so even in our relationship, we have had times where whether something was said or something was done or even a look sometimes can be misinterpreted, can it? And so the, the interesting things that, that happens is that that relationship gets affected by that misunderstanding, sometimes for a few minutes, sometimes for a lot of minutes, sometimes for, for hours. You just don't have the same connection. And then maybe uh, even after a, a many hours, you're sitting there at dinner and you say, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm sorry that you felt this. What do you, what do you mean I felt that way? Right? I, I wasn't upset with you, not at all. But thinking that they were upset affected the relationship and the interaction all day long, right? It just puts this thing in between. And that can happen with us uh, as human beings. So that's why we need to communicate, you know, better with one another. But also in our relationship with God. We, if we have any kind of misunderstanding about who he is or how he feels about us, it's going to affect the relationship that we have with him, isn't it? So it's important that you and I have a good understanding of who God is. That's where I want to go this morning. Turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 in our series in John. I'm going to start here. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So here is Jesus. Judas has just left to to turn him in to the Pharisees and, and the, the leaders, and Jesus knows it's time to go, and he's giving them some of his very last words. He says, but don't, you know, don't be troubled. Uh, I'm going, but I'm going to prepare a place for you, for those who believe in me, a heavenly place, right, where the Father lives. And don't worry about it. There's enough room for everybody. It's going to be awesome. And he says this in verse four, he says, and you know the way to where I am going. But Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Okay. Still, after three and a half years thereabouts, the disciples were not getting the whole picture. They weren't understanding the whole thing. They expected their Messiah to come and set up an earthly kingdom there in Jerusalem and make Israel the capital of the world, okay? That's what their expectation was. So what do you mean you're going somewhere, <laughs> you know? Um, they didn't get it. But Jesus was right. They did believe in him. So in that sense, they did know the way to where he was going. They knew the way to heaven. They knew the way to the Father. But again, they weren't connecting at all, right? So Jesus says to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The 
Thanks, sweetie. So there it is. He, he, he lays it out plainly, right? No one comes. There is one path to salvation. There is one way to reconciliation with God through the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Okay. It's the only way that our sin debt is cleared. And then he says this, and this is where I want to focus today, beginning of verse seven. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the father and the father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. So. What is God really like? You know, we, we kind of I think most of us, the way we speak of God as the father, you know, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, right? When we say God, we're generally referring to the father, even though God is all three. And that's for another time. That's, an, that's a mystery, which we all know. But Jesus said, to look at me is to see the father. Colossians 1.15 says, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3 says, he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The exact imprint of his nature. If you want to know who God is, all we have to do is look at Jesus. So since we're in John, I just want to highlight from the Gospel of John what we can know about God by looking at Jesus. Number one, John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dealt among us, dwelt among us. Just the fact that Jesus came into the world, right? shows how incredibly important we are to him, right? Sometimes um, I've heard people talk about, well, you know, God's probably too busy running the universe, (laughs) right? No, how important we are to God that he would leave heaven, come down to earth, to be with us, to show us the way, to be the way for us, right? You're important, know that. John chapter one, verse 42. And he, Andrew, brought him, his brother, to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, which means easily swayed. We know that about Peter, right? The son of John, you shall be called Cephas. 
Now what Cephas means, means a rock. Okay. What does this tell us about God? Tells us that God chooses unlikely characters to transform and to do great things through. Here was Peter, the impetuous uh, guy that he was, always putting his foot in his mouth, easily swayed, easily going in this direction, that direction, getting all hyped up here, running here, running here, doing that, doing that. And Jesus said, you're going to become a rock. You're going to become a pillar in the church. You're going to become someone that is dependable and solid right? In your faith, in your walk, in your ability to minister to others. You're going to be someone that that, that other people can depend on, right? Jesus takes unlikely characters. Got any unlikely characters? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, I'll raise both of mine. God takes unlikely characters to transform and to do awesome things through. The third one, John chapter 2 the wedding at Cana, right? The water was turned into wine. Why? In order to keep this unnamed peasant couple, peasant couple from being embarrassed, from being the laughing stock of their town for a time, right? Because they dared to run out of wine at a wedding. Wow. Was it this big, huge Um, spiritual thing? No. It was an embarrassment. And Jesus saw that need and did a miracle to help this couple. We don't even know. They weren't this big, important people, right? Just a peasant couple. What does that tell us about our God? He cares about the things that we care about, doesn't he? They don't have to be the big, huge things. Again, people say, well, I didn't want to bother God with this. This is just a little thing. No, he cares. Our burdens are his burdens. So let's never forget. Bring the little things to him. Bring everything, all of our burdens to the Lord. Pray about them. Give them to him. Never know. There might be a miracle right around the corner for him to reveal his glory in just the littlest of things. Amen. Number four, John chapter two. Again, Jesus cleansed the temple. Maybe a side of Jesus that uh, we don't always want to look at, right? Chasing out those from the temple that were selling, uh, making a profit on the worship of God as they cheated people. And uh, just it was, you, you know how this works, right? You, you had to have a, a, a clean animal. They had to be spotless. And in all that, that animal was supposed to represent Jesus, who was spotless, right? That's why God said it has to be a spotless lamb, not deformed or or anything like that. It's got to be perfect because Jesus was perfect because all that symbolism of sacrifice was supposed to point to Jesus Christ, right? So here Jesus is sinless. He's perfect. But then they would come in with their animals that they thought were perfect. And other people say, hold on. No, no, I don't like this one. You got to buy this one over here for three times the price that it's really worth. 
And so people were fleecing, no pun intended, um, the, the, the people with their sacrifices. They were, they were counting the worship of God as a thing to trifle with. It's a thing to profit on. You think that got Jesus a little upset? Yeah. Yeah. So what does this tell us about our God? That God is passionate about our worship. He is passionate about a genuine, heartfelt relationship with us. Not just going through the motions. He is passionate about something that's real and true. He is passionate about what we do here Sunday mornings, that we don't just come in because it's Sunday, because it's church day. No, he is here. He wants to meet with us. He wants, you know, when we worship God, we don't do it for him. He doesn't need our worship, right? But when we make him the center of our lives, when we exalt him, it benefits us in so many ways doesn't it? So God is very serious about our worship, about us coming together, encouraging one another. It's another thing that we do here Sunday mornings, right? Encouraging one another in the faith. Number five, John chapter three, the meeting with Nicodemus the Pharisee. Right. You, you sometimes get the idea that Jesus didn't like Pharisees that much. Now, what he didn't like was hypocrites. Right. People who pretended to be religious, uh, but didn't live it. That's what he didn't like. Um, but Nicodemus, the Pharisee, saw something in Jesus. So he came to him to to learn from him. And Jesus took the time to sit down with him. And to talk to him and to teach him. What does this tell us about God? God will take the time to teach anyone who is willing to learn. Who is willing to seek him. Who is willing to open up his word and say, Lord, help me to understand. God's willing to do that. Next one, John chapter 4. The woman at the well. Divorced five times, now living with a guy, not her husband. Such damaged goods that even the other women looked down on her. Would not allow her to draw water from the well with them. She had to go by herself. And yet Jesus specifically went through Samaria to meet with her. Isn't that awesome? Specifically to meet, connect with her. That te- what does that tell us about God? It tells us that no one, no one is beyond God's notice, his love, or his reach. Let me say that again. No one is beyond God's notice, his love, or his reach. So don't count anybody out. Don't count yourself out. Don't count anybody out. God's got a plan. John chapter four, again, the healing of the official's son. The man heard about Jesus. His son was very ill on his deathbed, came to him. Lord, you got to come heal my son. He's dying. 
Jesus didn't just pass him off, right? No, he went with him and he healed his son. What does that tell us about our God? That our God responds to faith. He responds to those who come to him in need and in faith. Doesn't say, no, I got important things to do. I got to be here. I got to be there. See you later. Right? Next one, John 6, the feeding of the 5,000. Mark said he had compassion on them because he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. He taught them. He healed them. He fed them. This ought to tell us how God looks at people, the people that we work with, our neighbors, our friends, uh, those that don't know him, right? How does God look at the people that we rub shoulders with every day? Like sheep without a shepherd, people with needs. And Jesus responded to those needs, didn't he? He is full of compassion for all of us. And he seeks to minister to the whole person, spiritual needs, physical needs, the felt needs, right? That's why we, in his name, as we minister to people, it's not just, hey, you know, I, I don't care if you're hungry or, or if you need, you know, this or that. I, I just, you know, want to come here and preach Jesus to you and walk out. No, we minister to the whole person, don't we? In compassion and love. That's how God sees them. John 6, when the disciples were exhausted, rowing against the storm hour after hour, they were done for, right? Jesus came to them walking on the water. What does that tell us about our God? Number one, he's not limited to the laws of gravity or science or nature or anything else in this world, right? There is nothing impossible with our God. Absolutely. Never, never, never. And sometimes he lets us get to the end of our strength so we don't depend on our own resources and depend on his inexhaustible resources, doesn't he? Okay? That's our God. He's not limited. Whatever your need is, whatever impossible situation you're facing, there's no limits on him, right? But if you've been trying to do it on your own, right, trying and trying and trying, he may let you exhaust yourself before he comes. So give up early. That's what I've learned. Okay? This is out of my hands, Lord. I give up. And I don't know about you, but for me, um, it's, the, it's the little things that I have a problem with. The crisis things, I give up right away. Lord, I... Forget it. I can't handle this. But the little things, it's like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. And I'm going to try this. And then the Lord kind of, you know, looks down. Are you done? Are you done? Can, 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 I, can I help you now, please? Uh, John 6 again. Jesus said this. John 6 uh, 54 to be exact. 
He said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. You know, when he said that, the Bible says that a lot of people stopped following him that day. Crowds, they just, my world is this crazy person talking about. And they left, right? Only the disciples stayed after that. What does this tell us about God? Sometimes God says things that are hard to understand and hard to accept. Amen? You got a Bible, same as I do. There are things in there sometimes tough to understand and tough to accept. But he always speaks the truth, doesn't he? And we can depend on that. And those who heed that truth are blessed. So, yep, sometimes even for the pastor. What in the world? But that's, that's where faith comes in. That's where trust comes in. That's where we give reverence to his wisdom and say, okay, God, I don't get this, but this is where you want me to be. This is what you want me to do. This is where I'm going. And when we do that, we are blessed because he always speaks truth. John chapter eight, the woman caught in adultery. After telling this judgmental mob that whoever was without sin was free to cast the first stone. Then he says to the woman, anyone here to condemn you? She says, no one, Lord. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you from now on. Sin no more. So what does this tell us about God? This tells us about the mercy of God, right? God um, not only is merciful, but he uses that mercy, doesn't he, to open our eyes and our hearts. If God was quick with judgment every time you and I sinned, boy, we'd be in a heap, at least I would be in a heap of trouble. Right. He's merciful. And in his mercy, we see that love. We see that compassion wrapped up in that mercy. How many have ever gotten in trouble, whether it was at school or with your parents or some, you know, you got a ticket, you know, some kind of thing. And the judge says, you know, I'm going to let you off. Or the principal said, all right, we're 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 going to let you go this time. I'm going to let you out. Cop says I'm going to let you off with a warning. Right. Mercy, it does something. God often uses mercy to open our eyes and our hearts to who he is. And shouldn't we then, right, be merciful to one another? And yet the second half of that, you know, go and sin no more. He remains serious about sin, doesn't he? Why? Why does God hate sin so much? Because it's destructive. It hurts us, right? In the long run, sin hurts. Sin steals, kills, and destroys. That's why God hates it, because he loves us so much. So mercy is one thing, but he is still very serious about sin. He doesn't just, you know, oh, you know, go ahead. No, he hates sin with a passion. Because he loves us with a passion. Amen. 
John 9, the healing of the man born blind. A miracle that no one had ever seen before. All right, you know what that says? It says that no situation is beyond his ability to touch and to bring good out of. Right? This man was born blind. It was a pitiful thing all of his life. But then this man became a living testimony to the Messiah. He became a part of the gospel. His testimony, right, brought others to believe in Jesus. His testimony was instrumental in the eternity uh, of people's lives, right? God touched bad situation, redeemed it for good. That's our God. Amen. John 11, the raising of Lazarus from the dead further proves the last point, right? No situation beyond his ability. But do you remember when Jesus heard the news that Lazarus was sick and he stayed where he was another two days? You ever do that with you? Right? Stay another two days kind of goes back to the rowing thing again, but... Jesus, what are you you telling us about God here? God does not work on our time frame, does he? We, especially us in the credit card, instant mashed potatoes generation, you know, we want everything yesterday. God does not work in our time frame, right? But when he doesn't, when he doesn't, don't, Don't say, well, I guess he's not interested and go and try to do it ourselves. Been there, done that. Bought the T-shirt, right? Because when he waits, he's got something even better in mind, doesn't he? If we trust him and hold on through that frustrating wait, and I know it's frustrating, he's got something better in mind that you and I could have conceived. Lord, if you had only been here, he would have been made well. And now he's going to be raised from the dead. Right? Pretty cool. It'll be worth the wait. Same story. Same account. I hate to use the word story because it sounds like it's fiction. Same account. John eleven thirty five. 35. You all know the verse. Longest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus wept at Lazarus's tomb. Even though he knew what he was about to do, he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. What does that tell us about our God? My friend Mike, who I like to quote, says, God not only loves you, he likes you. Chew on that one for a while. God has affection for you and I. It's not just a spiritual love. Right. He has affection. He has feelings, emotional feelings toward you and toward me. I like that. Also says this, our hurts are his hurts. He saw death. He saw how that death affected the family. He wept. Right. Their loss was his loss. Our hurts are his hurts. Amen. He cares. John 12, 
Mary anoints Jesus with expensive perfume. What did Jesus say? He said, she's done a beautiful thing for me. It's easy to see in that, that God doesn't just appreciate, but he delights in the things that we do to show him that we love him. When we come together, when we seek him in prayer, when we open his word, when we worship him in song, anything that you and I do to draw near to him and to express our love and our honor and our appreciation to him, he delights in that. Do you know that? That's a good thing. Something to meditate on. These things are precious to him. John 13, the washing of the disciples' feet. Mm -mm -mm. Spent some time on that. What do we see there? Although our God is all-powerful, he's not full of himself. Amen. He's not full of himself. He is love. And so he seeks our good. Above all. He seeks our good. He wants to rid us of that which defiles us and dirties us, right? For our good, for our advancement, right? My, my, my good behavior down here doesn't affect him at all. It affects me. It affects human relationships, right? He wants us to get rid of junk. Why? For us, for our good. Rather than demanding that we straighten up, though, however, he meets us in our messed up lives. Jesus took the towel. He washed the feet, right? He meets us in our messed upness. How many people got messed upness in your hearts and in your minds and in your life, right? He meets us there and helps us to move forward, helps us to move along. And finally... And we, we could go a year on this. But finally, obviously, where we haven't been in John yet, but dying on the cross. Dying on the cross. What does Jesus show us about God as he hangs on that cross and gives his life for us? First of all, that God is just. He's just. He couldn't just let sin go undealt with, could he? You wouldn't respect a judge that let a murderer go free. Oh, okay, I'm having an, I'm in a nice mood today. I'm going to let this this one go free, and this uh, uh, person that that hurt a child, I'm going to let them go free, and this drug dealer go free. I'm just feeling benefit. Would we respect a judge? No, God has to be just. Sin had to be dealt with. But look how he dealt with it. He put that sin upon himself, died in our place. What did he show us? He showed us that God's highest priority was not to proclaim himself king of the universe. He was already that. He knew that. Didn't have to set up his kingdom on, on the earth. His highest priority was to bridge the gap between us and him. To make the way for us at the highest cost. What does that tell us? 
right? God's highest priority is that we be reconciled in a relationship to him and look at what length he would go to do that. So what is God like? What is God like to see Jesus is to see God. We have only to look at him to understand how much God loves us, how much he values us, to see that he's merciful and compassionate and faithful and attentive to our lives and our needs, that he has affection for us, that he is powerful and wonder-working, and that he works in his time and in his way, but always in our best interest with the ultimate goal of bringing us into a relationship of love with him. That is our God. How great is it? You couldn't have picked better songs today from the choir. How great is our God. Amen. Worthy of our praise. Let's bow our heads. Oh, Father. Wow. You have shown yourself to us through Jesus. So many different ways. Lord, we just scratched the surface. So many different ways. With that highest priority of bringing us into a relationship with you. We thank you for that. And while our heads are bowed, if you have not made that choice, if you have not opened up your heart, if you have not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, this great and awesome God, I urge you to do that. It's not the, not the words, but the intent of your heart. Jesus said, I stand at that door and knock. If anyone will open, I will come in. If that's you here today or online, you haven't opened up that door. Do it now. Just say, Jesus, I open that door of my heart to you. You are awesome. God is awesome. I want to know you even more. I bring to you my sin that I might be forgiven by the blood that you shed on the cross. Be my Savior today. Be my Lord today. Help me to know you more and more each and every day. I thank you for it in your most awesome name. Amen.